animal. Talking animal. Good morning. This is Talking Animals on WMNF. I'm Duncan Strauss. And my guest today is Glenn Hatchell, returning for the fourth installment of Ask the Trainer. You may recall that the better part of a year ago, we conducted a bit of an experiment trying out an extended new segment called Ask the Trainer. And the trainer, in this case, of course, was Glenn Hatchell. The former WMF programmer, Glenn, is an accomplished dog trainer and behaviorist and currently works as the behavior and enrichment manager at the Humane Society of Tampa. In that initial show and the two similar shows we've done subsequently, we invited listeners to call or email in with questions about their dogs or cats, behavior or training or other issues, and Glenn responded. People seemed to really appreciate the help and guidance Glenn provided, and of course the information he offered was simultaneously helpful to many of those listening. So we now present Ask the Trainer every about every three months or so, including today. When we again invite listeners to call in, in fact, now, if you'd like, at 813-239-9663. Phone calls tend to work uh, most effectively just because they enable Glenn to ask the caller some follow-up questions and more precisely assess the issue in some cases and better calibrate the recommended solution. But uh, still, for listeners unable to call, we also aim to uh, incorporate questions submitted by uh, email at dj at wmnf.org or via text at 813-433-0885. So feel free to call or email now while Glenn and I talk for a moment or two. And um, also before we even get to that, I just want to remind folks who may have heard this earlier, but just in case you haven't, the Courtney Campbell Causeway is closed in both directions this morning because of a deadly crash. Tampa police uh, expect the Courtney Campbell to be closed for several more hours, so... Uh, be on the alert and make your uh, maybe improvised plans accordingly. So let's uh, let's welcome Glenn Hatchell back to the show on Talking Animals and specifically Acid Trainer. Good morning, Glenn. Good morning, Duncan. How are you? I'm really well. How about you? I'm doing good. Things Great. are well. Things are well. That's... The only thing missing right there was Flea doing a bark in the background. I yeah. Well, we're going to have to maybe record that so we can just drop that in periodically just to... Uh, yeah. Uh, I think we should. Yeah, flee on demand. That's I think that's our next <laughs> our, our next craze. It, there, w- there would be an appropriate aspect to the show as well. So, that's right. Yeah, you know, there's a link. That's absolutely right. So, um, wanted to chat with you for a couple of minutes, but hopefully encouraging people to uh, to get in calling with your questions for Glenn at eight one three two three nine nine six six three, or again you have the option uh, to email dj at wmf dot org. Or, uh, one of the things, actually, you know, I was thinking about it. One of the things about email is since I can't ask the follow-up questions, mm-hmm. this is more of a general answer, which might be more applicable or applicable to more people, depending on their scenarios. Sure. You know, we can make it all work. Yeah. No, we have certainly in the past. And, uh, um I mean, I, I like, maybe it's just been some of the questions that have been asked in the past, but I like that you, uh, when it is a caller, that you do have the option to 
uh, ask a few more things just to get a little bit more specifics that you that you can't get obviously sometimes from those emails um, but yeah either way it's worked out well and people I think have been helped and appreciated and so we're going to do more of that so it looks like we got one caller already jumping in and we're just going to chat with Glenn for a moment or two while we give other people a chance to uh, to again call in at 813-239-9663 email dj at wnf.org or of course you're welcome to text at 813- Four three three zero eight eight five. I just urge you to uh, once you are on the line, if you do call in, uh, just just hang tight. It might might be a few minutes before we get to you, but we will get to you. Uh, we we'll get get to as many as we can for for the for the next hour. So, so one thing I was going to ask, but, uh, apart from some things that we might want to talk about specifically, Glenn, is given that I mean part of the reason that you're so good at doing this is you've undergone a great deal of training and schooling about dogs. Obviously, you love dogs, but I mean you've really um, taking kind of along the way an academic approach. So I'd be curious at this point, this this far into it, to what extent are you still learning about dogs yourself? Every day. Yeah. And you know, and really part of it is that you, there's one aspect I could say that I do the same thing day after day, but reality is no two days are different because every dog's an individual. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so... You know, the part of that learning is connecting more dots. And by that, I mean, um, uh, let's see, try to give an example without spilling too much. We had a dog who was here recently, and the people who surrendered the dog had indicated a couple of things that were going on in the house. Um, and, um, I mean, that I would put them in the category of concerning behaviors. And when I took this dog out and did various things, I could totally see the connection between what I saw and how that would progress to what the former owner saw. Mm. Um, and, you know, those are the kind of things that, well, since I didn't, since I don't really have, I don't have the academic background, so I, I don't know if that would necessarily get pointed out in a class or if you would see it, but, you know, there's an aspect of dogs that I think I've heard the analogy before to, like, flying. You can take all kind of classes, you can watch all kind of videos and all that kind of stuff, but until you're right doing it yourself, um, you know, there there's that reality aspect to it. So... Obviously, every day the dogs are teaching me something, um, and part of that fascination is watching trends, um, and I'll talk about that here in a little bit. We'll actually probably weave throughout the show talking about the trends over the last couple of years, um, at least that I've seen anecdotally, but um, <clears throat> there's also still so much research that's coming out that are connecting more dots, let's say, or mm -hmm. finding out, you know, doing more details of dogs. But a lot of, and I think probably in two categories. One is they're able, they're doing a tremendous amount of functional MRIs on dogs. And I think most people are familiar with an MRI. It gives you that very detailed magnetic renaissance imaging or something like that. It gives you that very detail on the inside. But a functional MRI is of the brain, and that's where you're sitting there, and it takes like a 30-second, this 30-second series of pictures to see which portions of the brain are firing. And functional MRIs are used for, you know, looking at the brain to determine, you know, 
again, what kind of issues are going on. I personally have had one myself, and it was really fascinating to look at the results after that. And fortunately, the meds worked. Um, but with dogs, if you imagine an MRI machine is very loud, dogs are having to lie there and not move. So there's a long process to get them to that. But there's been hundreds of dogs who have gone through functional MRIs, so they're learning more and more about how the brain is operating. Um, so in some cases, it's confirming what you know was the feeling, I think, in some cases of a lot of people. And in other cases, it was you know, new ground, new things that were discovered. Yeah. Um, but with all of that research, I'll give you one idea that I haven't necessarily seen it play out here, but I keep a watch on it. There was a study out of Virginia Tech, and I don't know if this study has been presented yet, but in one of the conferences I was in, the um, the research doctor who was leading that project there was talking about some of the early findings. And what they were seeing is that in a shelter environment, a dog that shows escape behaviors, and that might be something like a dog that heads to the corner of the fence and is always looking, can I jump over this, can I dig under it, all of those kind of things. Mm-hmm. There was a, there was, they were seeing a pattern that showed that those behaviors in a shelter had a high correlation to separation anxiety behavior-related problems in the home. Mm. Now, there's a spectrum. That's not to say the dog was destructive or anything, you know. So. Yeah. And this was, again, very early on. But it's those those types of discoveries, conclusions, findings, whatever word you want. Findings, I guess, would be the, uh, the right word in that term. Yeah. That help us able to learn more in a shelter environment so we can better prepare the dogs for a future home or be able to provide those adopters with that information to be able to provide the support to the dogs. So it's those kind of things that's really, I find, just fascinating about it because there's always, just always such new stuff going on. And again, talking about trends, you know, we've all been affected and I think we've all read, you know, a lot of the uh, sociology stories about what's changed since the pandemic. Yeah. Um, and I knew early on, this isn't going to be a good thing for dogs to start getting born now because it's really important for puppies to have socialization in all aspects of life. And you're going out for a walk, meeting other dogs, people, a lot of dogs going to places. And, you know, you figure for a year <laughs> that went, that wasn't happening. Um, yeah, that went on the hiatus. Yeah. So we've kind of seen, you know, I've, I've been watching over the last couple of years now, or, you know, are we just seeing a bubble or are we seeing a trend? But there's starting to be a trend of, um, there's starting to be a trend of exciting young dogs that, uh, exuberant young dogs, shall we say, around the country. A lot of similarities to what a lot of people are, uh, a lot of behavior people are seeing all around the country. So, We'll talk about that a little bit through the show because yeah. I have a feeling that the question, some of the questions, may fit right into um, right into the rest of that story. Story. So yeah, that makes sense. And we'll, we'll uh, I might ask you a question too before we get officially started. But I want to let folks know who might just be tuning in now. Uh, the other voice you're hearing besides mine is Glenn Hatchell. He's the behavior and enrichment manager at the uh, Humane Society of Tampa Bay. 
And uh, about every three or months or so, we do, we've been doing this thing called Ask the Trainer. So if you have any questions about your dog or actually uh, your cat, is fair game as well. Uh, behavioral questions, training questions, just things that you're concerned about, everyday issues or problems that uh, you think might uh, be well served by some some guidance from an expert on. That's that's what these shows are about. And you can call 813-239-9663 and speak with Glenn directly. Otherwise, you're welcome to email dj at wmnf.org or text 813-433-0885. So, uh, Glenn, I know you wanted to talk at one point, and maybe this is a good time, but I don't want to get one of our uh, callers on shortly just because they've already been holding for a bit. But um, um, let's talk a little bit about dogs who are reactive on leash to things that they either see and or that happen around them. And um, just kind of give us a little input on that if you could. Yeah, and you know that is one of the consistencies that people are seeing throughout the country. And again, this is, I say this is anecdotal, but this was actually a face, well, it is absolutely anecdotal. It's a Facebook post from one of the international speakers asking about what trainers see. And I think the last time that I looked at it, there were probably over 200 comments. Um, And a lot of these dogs do fit that profile that they're, you know, um, let's say around two years of the age or younger, which is going to be kind of a, let's say, a pandemic-born or post-pandemic, well, <laughs> I'm not going to use the term post-pandemic, um, early in the pandemic or later on in the pandemic, um, who didn't, like we were talking about, didn't get that socialization. And what happens in those early, or what happens in the early development socialization page, uh, stages is that the the young dogs learn that, Basically, they learned resilience. I like to think of it about that way, is that they learned that scary things are going to happen. Here's what I can do to recover from it. And if they have enough experiences, positive experiences, then when they encounter that again, they're going to encounter it with a positive outcome or with a positive approach. Mm. So with all those fancy words, basically... If a dog meets, if a dog is young and meets another dog, and the other dog is playful and they have a great time, that dog that's learning is going to hope the next time it meets a dog that it has that same experience. And if it does, that dog is quickly going to make an association that, oh, there's a dog. Dogs are playful. I like dogs. And the young one will start going right into play mode to begin with. Mm. Um, now, I use meeting other dogs as an example. It could, just, it could also be meeting people because, you know, as we all know, sometimes somebody can come walking up and they may be carrying a bag or may be wearing sunglasses or a hat or have on a coat that's swinging, and all of a sudden the dog has this surprising reaction to them, you know, barks or moves, moves away or something. Yeah. Um, if that person did something, if that person got down on all fours and started acting like a dog, um, that probably would scare the other dog back off. But if I can hear the crowd laughing, just to, you know, um, but if that person had a treat and all of a sudden the dog is unsure about this person with the hat on and all of a sudden it's like, but wait a minute, this dog has 
you know, a, a really tasty thing that they just gave me. Again, the dog's going to make that association that, oh, that person's not scary. That dog is a treat provider. That's a treat giver. That's what, you know. So it's that association where dogs learn. And I think one of the, I think the, the, the first person who realized this connection was Pavlov about 120 years ago. Yeah. That's really what's happening here. It's a, it's a different scenario because this is a more of an emotional response to something that it sees, uh, that the dog sees. But it's still, or the, so the key thing though with puppies, if they don't have that experience early on, then kind of genetics is going to play a big piece of it. And we never know really anything about the genetics, but, a lot of those dogs will end up then as they get older because they didn't learn the positive response to it because we're all survivors at nature. I mean, survivors at heart. Um, their reaction will be to see something and bark at it to scare it away. Mm-hmm. So part of the issue then, if the dogs, if the young dogs do not get that socialization, then one of the things that it could end up in is walking on a leash, they see another person or a dog, and it doesn't necessarily have to be well. And the the issues become now you've got an issue of the dog reacting on leash. So it doesn't matter if the dog is barking at the other dog and is afraid to go near it, or if the dog is so excited and wants to pull over there to that right. dog. We're still dealing about a leash issue here of how the dog reacts, um, and that's what a lot of people are seeing around the country. Um, and again using the phrase of connecting the dots, a lot of these behaviors can be the result of having that lack of socialization. Yeah. The good thing is a lot of these dogs are still young. And if they're still young, it's not like they were dumped somewhere or anything like that. So we're not talking about an absence of socialization. We're just talking about a limited aspect of what of the dogs that we've all known in our lifetime have generally experienced. Yeah, what, what, what would typically happen if there weren't the kind of restrictions that are imposed by pandemic things, lockdowns, and other uh, protocols, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. And who knows, two years from now, we may be seeing, you know, we may not be seeing this. It may just be a, a window of the dogs we've got right now. No way to know. Yeah. Um, but again, thinking back to your initial question about learning, this had been pretty fascinating to watch and see how this has changed. And what basically I've, I've seen, and I think it was kind of confirmed through a lot of the other comments, is that we are seeing high, the, the younger dogs, and by that I'm going to say two years and younger, we're seeing a little bit higher energy than we saw in the past. Interesting. Um, you know, so... It's um, and the and the other interesting thing is we're also seeing more mouthiness, and by that I mm. mean a dog that might want to go at the leash. Some of them may want to go at the pant legs, um, but a lot again making connections. A lot of times I have or I've I've seen often a correlation between dogs who are kind of mouthy and some anxiety. And often, if we give them a toy to carry in their mouth when they're walking, it will help them a lot. So, you know, a lot, interesting. Those, yeah, well, let's try it. We never know till we try. Right. It. No, that's part of the that's part of the ongoing learning that you're describing. Well, let's exactly. possibly circle back to that, depending on some of the calls and, and questions we get, and uh, let's take one of those callers if, you, if that sounds good to you, Glenn. 
Oh, absolutely. Okay, so again, this is Ask the Trainer on Talking Animals. Uh, the trainer in this case, again, is Glenn Hatchell, Behavior and Enrichment Manager for Humane Society of Tampa Bay. We're taking questions at 813-239-9663 that Glenn will field and, and uh, do his best to respond and give you some guidance or help or expertise. And you can also do that by way of D, uh, email at dj at wmf.org or texting 813-433-0885. So let's take our first caller. Hi, caller. You've been patient for holding there for quite a long time, so thank you for that. And let's let's have your question for Glenn. Hi, uh, we have a lab and Rhodesian Ridgeback mix, and she's about five months old. And she, it seems like she's very, very energetic. Probably the most energetic puppy I've ever encountered. Mm-hmm. And she jumps all the time, and we cannot seem to break her of that. So I was wondering what you suggest. Um, is it jumping up on you guys or on the table and such? Uh, on us. But she'll okay. just, she'll jump and jump and jump. And if we try to, you know, push, like put our hand to push her away, she jumps at that. So it's just mm-hmm. everything is a jump. Mm-hmm. So a couple of things with jumping that I like to, um, I, I like to start with. Um, and, Again, thinking about one of the one of the things we don't want to lose here is that you've got a five month old you've got a five month old very socially very a dog whose background is very social dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is that's a wonderful thing, but that is what you're dealing with. Jumping is attention getting. The dog is trying to get your attention one way or the other. Um, even if you're paying attention to him, is it him or her? She, Lucy. She, okay. Um, so she's trying to get your attention. So the couple of things that I like to do, or I would recommend in this case, is one of teach her the sit cue, and I'll tell you in a minute where you can find some of the things about teaching this. Um, but you want to teach her a sit cue because if she's sitting, she's not jumping on you. Now, right. in five months, there's, it's simpler to say, it's simpler, easier said than done because obviously she's young and excited and, oh, my gosh, Mom, you have this. Is she toy motivated? Does she like toys? Very. Mm-hmm. Okay, perfect. Then I would, absolutely, I would not even use treats for the sit reward. I would use a toy that she likes a whole lot. So that okay. way when she sits, you can throw that toy and she runs after the toy, have one ready for for when she comes back, have her sit for the next toy. So okay. what what may what what you hope is starting to happen here is that when she comes up to you instead of coming up to jump on you, she's coming up to you with a toy for you to start throwing it. Now that at least gets her mind this isn't a this isn't a correction. This is basically getting her mind off of jumping on you and doing something else. Right. Because at that point, then it makes it easier to, when she starts wanting to jump on you, you'll recognize that, oh, she's about to jump, and you can say sit, and hopefully she will sit then before she starts jumping on you. Okay. Now, okay, the way that makes sense. Now, to give you one more step through that, the next thing probably I would do in this case is actually give her a cue to teach her to jump up on you. So, in other words, you can give me a hug, but only when I've said it's okay for you to give me a hug. Okay. And that way she still gets to do it, but it's on your terms and not hers. Um, last thing I'll say is the reason why jumping can be 
a difficult thing to break. One, because as dog lovers, we love that. And because there are times that we forget and we let them get away with it, because we let them get away with it, they keep trying it to see if they can get away with it. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's the way I always like to approach um, jumping. But sounds like it's one of those fun things, but it can be a challenge depending on the size and the strength of the dog for sure. Well, how would you signal the, the hug part of that? Like maybe um, patting your chest or... Um, I usually do it on um, my thigh area. Okay. Yep. And actually okay. out on the Humane Society's website under our adoption portion, there's a link that says training resources. Okay. Um, and within training resources, there's actually a link to, I believe it's Victoria Stillwell's site and her protocol for working with dogs who are jumping. And that That's fundamentally okay. is what she says there. You know, okay. but but she's got more detail about how to go through those steps. All right, thank you for your time. All right, thank Absolutely. you for your call. Okay, that's uh, Glenn Hatchell again. It's Ask the Trainer on Talking Animals, and uh, again, you can get in on that and get your question asked at, uh, by calling 813-239-9663, emailing dj at wmnf.org, or texting 813-433-0885. If you do call in, you might be on hold for a few moments, but just hang tight. We will get to you, obviously, as quickly as we can, including this next caller. Hi, you're on Talking Animals with Glenn Hatchell. Ask the Trainer. Yeah, this is Bob in West Melbourne. Hi, Bob. Hey, Bob. How are you? Another day in paradise, buddy. <laughs> How you been? I'm doing well. I got a new puppy. <coughs> and I want to know, is it possible to teach a dog to bark at certain things and not bark at things that you don't want them to bark at? <clears throat> and you know what kind of dog I have, so... <laughs> You can you can um, gauge your answer around that. All right, and pardon me, I took a swallow. Of course, if I'm going to take a <laughs> swallow of water on the air, it's going to go down the wrong side. <laughs> so, <laughs> always good for me. All right. So, honestly, that is that is a I for for me personally as a trainer, that is something that's that, that it's extremely difficult to get a dog to do. Um, there are, and, and it comes back to being able to know which sound that dog is recognizing at that point in time to bark at or not. But if we break it down with any type of behavior you want to do, if he's barking at what you want him to bark at, you want to reinforce that. You want to reward that. Kind of okay. like, you know, oh, if you sold one of those, good. I wanted those right. sold. Here's an extra dollar for you. Um, right. And then if there are things that he is not barking at, I mean, things he's barking at that you don't want him to bark at, the if you can wait it out, the best thing is for is to ignore him at that point because most anything you would do where he's barking at something you don't want him to bark at <clears throat> that fine that's that fine line there of inadvertently giving him a reward or reinforcing him for 
barking at all. So that that's where it comes down to that very, very fine line of being able to distinguish between bark at that and not that. But, again, fundamentally, when he's barking at something you want him to bark at, reward, reinforce that. All right. That makes sense. Makes sense. I've tried that on with our our last little devil, and it doesn't work. <laughs> well, it, it is it, it is it is a challenge, and especially knowing the uh, the breed you have, which is a small dog who you know has they, was bred to bark. Ex- well, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, yeah, that, that's that's, that's part of the challenge. But, well. so, but yeah, skipper keys were still, bred to bark. Again, this is, I think, something that will that's applicable. I can tell you, my wife would say, "I think Bob heard my question." Um, <laughs> I think I made, I think I made that joke last time as well. And my dogs are still barking, but <laughs> but one idea though, the more yeah. content, I use the word content instead of tired, but the more mentally content, a lot of times that barking might not be as strong as it would be if the dog's basically sitting there waiting to do the next thing. And right. one of the ways by one of the, at least from a shelter aspect, one of the ways that we go after it and try to help those dogs are with um, hiding food, whether it's just putting it in a cardboard box and letting them tear the box up or whether it's a food puzzle any number of things like that, but there's a lot of mental activity is going on, almost problem solving. And mm-hmm. for a lot of dogs, they will, and especially I think for young dogs too, because it helps them in that mental development. But um, it just that 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 mental work that they're doing there can can do a lot. Just to ah, that was good. I'm just going to chill mm-hmm. out here for a few minutes. It's also good too. I would say actually along that line. Um, there's is is to always when you're feeding your dog always make it some sort of a challenge for them whether it's in a slow feeder bowl or whether it's in something like put it in a box where they've got to you know dig you know dig through the box to hunt for it um, mm-hmm. because that is going to be in time that mentally they're going to be excited and they know they're about to eat and they will they will <laughs> they'll jump through hoops for food. <laughs> a bad agility joke there. So, there uh, it is. Hey, thanks a lot, buddy. But, yep, that is, those are the things I try. That's what I got. And uh, say hi to Kelly for me. We'll do. Thanks, hey, Bob. Get over, yeah, you get over this way. Give me a shout. Yes, sir. All right. Thanks Bye. again. All right, this is uh, Talking Animals. I'm Duncan Strauss. If you just uh, join us, we are in the midst of Ask the Trainer, a segment we've been doing about uh, every three months or so, in which we invite listeners, that could be you, of course, to ask everyday questions about their dogs, maybe a training challenge, maybe a behavioral issue, maybe something else. And again, the person answering those questions is Glenn Hatchell, the Behavior and Enrichment Manager at the Humane Society of Tampa Bay, veteran dog trainer and behavior expert, and, of course, a former WMNF programmer. So... If you'd like to uh, take a, an opportunity like this to ask Glenn a question about your dog, please call eight one or cat. Please call eight one three two three nine nine six six three. Email DJ at wmnf dot org or text eight one three four three three zero eight eight five. So Glenn, um, we're waiting for some more folks to to. Uh, well, 
actually let me let me let me jump in here because I wanted to I want I want to go back to the caller before Bob who okay. had the, the five month old part of the we're, so in that case there was a specific problem that there was dealing with the jumping but my solution to that basically is number well I talked about sit it really that would be the first of what I call the foundation skills. So it really, I can't emphasize the importance for all dogs to know how to do a sit, a stay, and a stay being, that doesn't mean you have to walk away from them, but you could at least move around on the leash and your dog's going to hold a position, and coming when called. I mean, those are the three really key things that, um, because obviously we want dogs to... Um, be decent on leash. If you're having to sit there or if having to stand there at a counter and fill something out, you want your dog to be able to sit there by you and not be crazy. Yeah. And if the leash gets loose, you want them to be able to come back to you. Um, so yeah, there are, again, I will direct people back to the Humane Society website and on the adoption area and training resources. There are a lot of resources out there available for training that you can do on your own or contacts you can make to try to find trainers to help you with things. But, you know, I just can't emphasize the importance of just teaching those basic, again, what I call the foundation skills, those basic yeah. foundation skills that every dog really needs to uh, not necessarily master, but at least be really good at um in a lot of cases. So that was that was the one thing that I was thinking as we were wrapping up that call and before the next one came in that um, um, that was that's always encouraged. Okay, very good. All right, let's uh, let's take our next caller again. This is uh, Ask the Trainer. This person is called eight one three two three nine nine six six three. You can do the same if you want to get some input and help from Glenn Hatchell. The Ask the Trainer segment here, or again by email at dj at wmnf dot org. Or, of course, you also have the option to um, text at 813-433-0885. Also, I just want to mention, since Glenn's made reference a couple times to the Humane Society Tampa Bay uh, website, that is humanesocietytampa.org to get there and find the section on training resources and the uh, Victoria Stillwell section and just other guidance that you could get. So, meanwhile, let's take our next caller. Hi, you're on uh, Talking Animals with Glenn Hatchell and Ask the Trainer. Go ahead, please. It's you. No? Okay. Hi, you're um, on Talking Animals with uh, Glenn Hatchell and Ask the Trainer. Can you hear me? Yeah, go ahead, please. Hello? Hello. Yes. Right, can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Um, I've recently adopted a rescue puppy. He's about five and a half months now. His mother was a blue tit hound. Um, his father is somewhat unknown, but he kind of looks like he could grow up to be a plot hound. I have no idea. I have another dog, too. That's another long story. But my question, he's really, really smart, but he seems to me like he's willful. He knows how to, he knows how to sit. He, you know, he knows what come means, but if you tell him to come, he'll just look at you and go, no, I don't think so. Or the same thing with the sit. He's just, he's willful. Is that part of the dog breed? And do you have any I'm sorry. Say, say, what did you say last? He's what? Willful. Oh. I mean, um, I know that's anthropomorphic, but 
Yeah. That's okay. Sometimes uh, that's the easiest way to explain things, I've decided, because yeah. that way we can relate to them easier. Um, so a couple of things, um, again, being at that age, um, mm-hmm. I, I, would, I would wonder, well, I always wonder, based on what you said there, if there's something developmentally that's going on. Um, and again, having not seen him, I just, that always pops into my mind if you've got a five and a half month old that seems kind of slow, for example. Um, but most dogs will learn, well, I shouldn't say most dogs. A lot of dogs will actually follow body language before they'll follow a, uh, an audio, a vocal signal. Right. Um, so it could be that where it looks like he's, there could be, I'm wondering if there's something that you may be doing physically when he's coming to you that you're not doing when you're just using the the word, maybe. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I, that, that's stretching a little bit. But I always think about it this way, too, and this is kind of fits within um, one of my philosophies of training, is that we do want him to make the decision to come to you. You don't want to force right. it because obviously, because if he gets loose, you're, you're not going to be able to pull him back. Um, and if I have a dog, of course I'm dealing with the ones in the shelter, but I would do the same thing in a home environment. If I have a dog that's hesitant, I would look for a high value food reward to try to encourage them to do it. Um, well, you can make him do anything for food. You can make him turn flip flops and jump up and down. If you have okay. food in your hand, He's going right. to be your best friend. Perfect. So what What basically it sounds like you're probably dealing with here basically is one to where it's, there's a lot of, diff, there's a lot of behavioral terms for it, but basically he's come to that realization of, well, I'm not going to do it if you don't have the treat there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, but, but that's where it, that's where it comes to, um, Thinking on thinking of coming when called now. Um, if you were going to get him to come to you and you didn't have a, well, let me think. Let me re, let me phrase it this way: If you want him to come to you, you should do the exact same thing whether you have a treat in your hand or not, because that I way he that. does yeah. he doesn't know until he gets to you whether you have that treat and. At this point, then we would want to start mixing up the rewards. So if he comes to you without the treat, then that's a, you're such a good puppy. I'll kind of praise and attention and everything. Right. Um, if he comes to you, so that is with, well, so we're talking about coming when called. I kind of gotten myself tied up here because... <laughs> Well, because I've got, but actually it's good for somebody that's listened to the whole thing. This may, this, this may be like, ah, because I was talking about, because coming when called is the one behavior that I always offer a food reward for. Okay. Not for, not for sit, but for coming when called, I always do. Because the scenario I always like to use is that, some service person has come over to work on something at your house. They've gone back out to the truck and left the front door cracked open. And what you see is the back end of your dog heading down the street. Right. At, at that point, you don't have 
anything with you that you would normally have doing coming with calls, but your dog's not going to know that. So if he has been conditioned that, well, of course I'm going back to mom. She always gives me hot dogs in this case, or I always get it. That's going to increase the chances that he's going to come back to you. Yeah. Um, But now with sit, though, or for the other behaviors, that's where we start just... You, you want to mix it up. Sometimes you're going to get a treat, and I like to think of it, when you do it perfectly, I'm going to give you a treat. If you do it sloppily, you know how to sit. You don't need to be rewarded for that. So right. That's kind of the way. Um, it, this is not an uncommon problem, but it's easy to it's easy to um, to back out of with consistency. Your yeah. your consistency there because it really is. Dogs are very smart, and yeah, he's figured out. Eh, I'm just going to wait and see. If I wait her out, she'll give it to me. <laughs> oh and, yeah, well, and he's he got more attention than he should because he he came into a house with an older dog that um, hated him for the first couple of weeks. <laughs> ah. But we all we all break the rules, you know. I mean, we we all do, you know. I mean, we I say break the rules, but it's all it's like, yeah, I probably wish you'd have rewarded them there. But my feeling is, if you're giving the dog a piece of food, there's no way you're going to mess them up. Well, that's true. I'm I'm you know? all about that. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, that was very interesting, and I hope he. Uh, I just you know I've heard some horrible things about hound breeds. Um, mm-hmm. So having every dog, uh-huh. every dog's an individual. That's true. He's he's very vocal too. He talks all the that's time. A, if I could teach that, him how to talk, I'd be a winner. Well, <laughs> if you do do, do succeed, uh, let's contact Talking Animals immediately. Okay. So I'll do that. I will. All right. Thanks. Call. Thanks for your call. Appreciate it. Bye bye. Okay, Glenn, we're going to take an email just to mix it up a little bit. This one says, I have a Parsons Jack Russell, almost thirteen years old, very neurotic but very sweet and a loving companion. He has some big issues. When in the car, he hyperventilates, shakes, and whines loudly. And because we hike a lot, which he loves about three times a week, we're in the car a lot. Other issue is his barking, especially if anyone is coming in or out of the house or a guest or family come into the room or if anyone gets close to me, including family. He also shakes a lot when excited or unsure of what is going on. Thanks. Um, I would say I would actually defer a lot of this and make sure from a medical aspect that there's nothing that he's got going on. And I say that because of the age. Um, but the, the thing that I would try that has absolutely no negative side effects, but you may see success from is a calming shirt. Um, and I say that generically, there's Thunder shirt. Um, there's several brands that make a calming type shirt. But I have seen, especially in this type of scenario, like the car especially, um, I've seen the Thunder shirt have quite a good um, calming effect on some dogs. I mean, now I've also seen it on some to where it doesn't work at all. But um, there, um, again, there's no side effects to them, and you pretty much know within the next within the next first couple of minutes um, if. If it's relaxed with my cattle dog, it actually reduces some of his barking as well. So interestingly enough, he is 13 now and it doesn't affect his barking. It doesn't reduce his barking like it did when he was younger. No idea why, but, hmm. um, 
but the Thunder shirt, especially at that age, I think is a good thing to try. And yeah, so, Glenn, with with that, uh, since there's no downside, as you say, to, to, to putting a calming shirt on, would, would, in this case, would, would the recommendation be for that dog to then just have that calming shirt on uh, a lot of the time, most of the time, all the time? What? Well, definitely on the car ride, uh-huh. um, and it would be it would be worth trying when people are over um, to see if it helps him calm a little bit when somebody kind of tries to approach mom. Yeah, um, but it does. It sounds like since the while there may be some other moments, it sounds like there's a couple of situations to where it's really more severe than the others. Is what I'm assuming based on the email, which is so I would think about using it. You know, putting it on an hour before, or half an hour before heading on heading out on the road, or from before someone is coming over. Okay, great. All right, let's take uh, another. Uh, actually, let's do another email here. Uh, this is hi, Glenn. Liz from Asheville used to volunteer with you, so I guess. Yeah. Uh, hi, Liz. So saying, I got a young greyhound um, last July off farm who never raced or lived with. Or never live. Sorry, never raced or lived the regimented schedule of an ex racer uh, that would have would have done. She has a habit of on peeing on soft surfaces. Having come off the farm, she lived in a in a run and had full potty access. So for many months, I picked up the rugs. Between that time, sometimes she was excited, or a friend's dog was over. She would pee on the dog's bed just out of nowhere, having just come, uh, having just been out to pee. So um, I think it gets cut off there. I don't know if there's more, but that's all I'm seeing. So, well, these sound like, and hi, Liz. Hope things are great up there. <laughs> um, you know, a lot of this sounds like that kind of a fear anxiety aspect, um, or or submiss- submissive. Sorry, somewhere along the lines of something along that line. It could very well be a candidate for some type of anti-anxiety medication. Um, I don't know if there's other. Behavior issues, but it does sound like that, you know, it is kind of one of those excited arousal, something along that line is what I would feel. As far as if there is an aspect of peeing inside, and actually I don't think I said this earlier, but I probably should have. If somebody is dealing with uh, potty issues, um, any make sure when you go out, when you take them outside that you've got a good reward and as soon as they finish pottying, that's when they get the reward. Not when they start, but when they finish. Because a lot of them will figure out, oh, I'll just go out here and squat and you're going to be a treat. <laughs> <laughs> I can beat the system. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And it's interesting to uh, to think about a greyhound, <clears throat> just because we're so common, I guess, especially on a show like this, to talk about greyhounds that were racers. Um, it's interesting to kind of hear about one that uh, never raced or didn't have that kind of life, and then well, Liz, Liz was Liz was very involved in the greyhound scene when she was living here in Tampa. So right. it doesn't surprise me at all that she's ended up with a greyhound in this scenario. Oh yeah, no, no, I, I, sure, and I, I certainly recognize the name in, in that regard. You know, I just thought but it was you interesting. Are, you are correct. It is unusual to hear that, isn't it? Yeah. So we're sort of nearing the end of our time. We are again in the uh, final moments. Uh, of Ask the Trainer, and again, the trainer is Glenn Hatchell, the Behavior and Enrichment Manager of the Humane Society of Tampa Bay, a veteran dog trainer and behavior expert, and again, a former WNF programmer. And uh, so, in our 
remaining moments, we might chat about a couple other things in the meantime. But if you would like to ask Glenn a question about your dog or your cat, please call 813-239-9663, email dj at wmnf.org, or text 813-433-0885. So I know at one point in one of these uh, recent uh, ones we had done before, Glenn, we talked about the dogs of Chernobyl. And um, yes, maybe yes, there's yes. an update we could uh, get on that. Yeah, too. I think actually you were you were emceeing a, wild, a wildlife animal conference or something at that point in time. I actually looked back; it was 2019. Um, okay, when I had sat in, there were a couple of people who had well, actually one person, Kansi van Goddard, who um, many people listening will recognize her name from uh, Florida Sark. Um, had gone to Chernobyl and was working with the dogs who basically were abandoned when the plant uh, had the incident. Um, there were, you know, people had to leave their animals behind, and there had been an effort underway through the Clean Futures Fund. Basically, there had been four or five trips going over caring for these animals who lived in the restricted area near the plant, and obviously with the invasion, um, that all kind of lost contact and everything, but then when the Russians moved out and Ukraine was able to take it back over, um, they have since a number of the dogs had moved, had basically found their way out of the area, and once the Russians left, um, the dogs started coming back in the area. So they have actually found and reconnected with several of the dogs who they have provided veterinary care for over the last four or five years or so. So um, it's still very early on. They, the Clean Futures Fund doesn't think it'll be any time soon before they'll even be up in there. This is obviously through their contacts. Mm. They have been able to get food up into the area that's going to be available for all the animals that are in there. And um, before they were able to do that, they had provided and had set up, I believe at this point, in the border with Poland and had some veterinary care there, food available for the Ukrainians who were heading out of the country and were crossing into Poland. And I think within the last day or so, Dr. Marty Becker, who is the one who started up the Fear Free program a few years ago and yeah. is kind of a celebrity veterinarian, so to speak, um, is over there right now, I think, at the Romanian border and through World Vets. I think worldvets.com. So there's a lot of animal activity because a lot of these people are coming with their animals. For and, sure. Um, yeah, and the animal welfare community is, is there to help them, like the humanitarian community is as well. Yeah, Jose Andreas, shout out to the chefs that are out there doing that. So for sure, a lot of people are, um, a lot of people are trying to do what they can. Yeah, and any uh, any uh, website or contact that you can think of, Glenn, for people who would want to assist in, in either of those things, either the dogs of Chernobyl or the efforts to uh, um, support would, the an, animal dogs. Well, the, the dogs of Chernobyl, you could search for that, or but that is a part of Clean Futures Fund. Okay, and I yeah. think under under those sites, you will find. I think the other one I heard mentioned was WorldVets.com, and basically, it's a network of international vets. And what they had the way they've been able to get the food and stuff there was through those contacts. Um, 
you know, with with people on the ground. Um, so I, I, those those are the two things that I've seen so far that I would be comfortable referring out, recommending out. Okay, out. that's good. All right, so uh, we're sort of nearing the end of the time. Anything else that uh, I, I'm not sure we're going to have another call or email at this point, Glenn? But anything else uh, before we start well, to know, wrap up? It, one, of, one of the things that a lot of people have, have gotten adjusted to um, uh, through through the last couple of years is doing training and watching things online video-wise. Yeah. I know I had mentioned this last time, but we are – we, being the Humane Society of Tampa Bay, are very actively um, putting more and more content out on our YouTube channel, both from just obviously our adoptable animals, but a lot of educational and training information. So, um, And as I mentioned in the adoption portion of the website, or if you hover over that, you'll see a link to training resources that not only online, but there's also rec- or there's also a list of um, uh, consult- behavior consultants in the area um, that people can seek out. So, you know, there's a lot of resources out there to be able to help with the problems, and sometimes the problems are, you know, with, with a couple of things, they can be easy to fix, and your life can be so much easier. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll tell you that that reminds me. Next time we do this, um, I'd love to talk a little bit more about adoption and kind of what happens over there and how someone like you, you know, plays a role sometimes in, um, you know, guiding a, a certain dog, knowing, uh, you know, their, them very well, their personalities, temperament, et cetera, from play groups and other uh, contact and sort of almost like serving a, a matchmaking role that that sometimes obviously further uh, ensures a, a good successful adoption. So that's maybe one for next time, um, plus other things as well. Could be. All right. Sounds good. Okay. So usually you have a question that we never get a chance to get to. Well, yeah. We're, we're now we're sort of just at the end of our time. You helped. Actually, I did ask a question last time. It was about a, a bullying cat to one of our other cats, and. Uh, um, they get along better. There's still some 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 uh, little spurts of bullying, which I do not like at all. But then the next thing you know, they're hanging out uh, very friendly. So um, I guess it's progress. Let's put it that way. It's progress. Well, it is. And you know what it sounds like? That the progress there is on the recovery time. Yeah. They have their little incident, and then they're right back together. That's right. Anytime yeah. we're looking at behavior modification, that is always a big factor is that recovery time. Does the dog... Or the animals stay above or at threshold, or do they calm back down? Yeah. And, All right, Glenn. Yeah, there's well, so much. <laughs> Sorry. No, no. <laughs> we're just we're just for the last uh, twenty seconds or so here. So I just got to uh, say goodbye and say thank you. So we've been speaking to Glenn Hatch. Let's ask the trainer again at the Humane Society Tampa Bay, and that's humanesocietytampa.org. Thanks, Glenn, once again for another great show and a bunch of helpful uh, uh, recommendations for all kinds of folks. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Hit the tip jar. There you go. Thanks. All right, so we are at the end of this edition of Talking Animals on WMNF Tampa. Uh, Izzy is in for Scott today. That's coming up shortly after NPR News Headlines. Thanks.